stuck with me. No encore, just stuck with me. <laughs> stuck with me? I, I didn't know that was about sermons. <laughs> so <laughs> that's interesting, Jan. That's an entirely new ju- interpretation to a song of my youth. <laughs> so, um, Charles, you're going to operate the scripture for me, right? Okay, and if that doesn't work out, then I can do it. Um, let's, let's test that I can do it because this is a new remote real quick. So let's see. Okay, apparently I can't do it. So you're going to be doing all of this, okay? You got it. I, I believe in you. Um, so this is uh, what the Word of the Lord says. We're going to be reading a lot of Scripture today, okay? So from the very first chapter of Amos. Oops, there we go. Sorry. I've got to... I did not bookmark Amos. There we go. Um, starting at verse 3, and we're going to read all the way through Uh, the sixth verse of the second chapter, because this is all one section. So this is what the word of the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Because she threshed Gilead with sledges, uh, having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazel uh, that will consume the fortress of Beth-Hadad. I will break down the gates of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon. And the one who holds the scepter in Beth-Eden, the people of Aram, will go into exile to Kit. Says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent. Because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortress. I will destroy the king of Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter of Ashkelon. Uh, I will turn my hand against Ekron uh, till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the sovereign Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent. Because she uh, sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. I will send fire on the uh, walls of Tyre that will consume her fortress. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Eden, even for four, I will not relent because he pursued his brothers with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire on Teman uh, that will consume the fortress of Bozorah. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah uh, that will consume her fortresses amid war cries on the the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile, he and his high officials. This is what the Lord says. For three kings of Moab, even for four, I will not relent because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's kings. I will send fire on Moab that will consume the fortresses of Keroth. Moab will go down in great tumult amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. 
For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel... Even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink uh, wine taken as fines. And I read past where we were going, but uh, we're going to focus on that next week. I guess, I don't know about you. I'm going to try this one more time, okay? Nope, you got to do it. So next slide, please. I love, I love stories of con artists. Now, I'm not a con artist. I, I once tried to chase down a con artist. I'll tell you about that story in just a second. But I love movies where there's a con. So uh, when I was growing up, there was a movie called The Sting that I just absolutely adored. It was just wonderful. Uh, not only was the movie itself great, but the music is just like, it's an earworm. Like if you listen to it right now, you would be humming it for the rest of your day. But also more modern things. If you've seen uh, Catch Me If You Can, which is about Frank Abagnale, we'll talk about him in just a second. It's about a con artist. And the reason I like it is because, well, Con artists basically just use people's natural desires that are kind of selfish against them. I want to talk about three. So would you hit the, hit, hit the next thing? This is Frank Abagnale. Many of you know his story. Now, the irony is if you read about Frank Abagnale, there's a really good chance that his story about being a con artist is actually a con. So after the movie came out, people did more research and apparently there's a really good chance that most of what he said he did, he didn't actually do, which makes this kind of a metacon. If I can still use the word anymore since Facebook is now meta, um, he, he did not only a con, but he did a con about doing a con, which is just awesome. This guy right here, Victor Lutzden, he sold the Eiffel Tower twice, twice. He has this, this great con that's known as the Romanian box where he would convince people that this box, was, which was about the size of a steamer trunk, you could put money in one end, and this was in the 1800s, and out the other end would come an exact copy of the money you just put in. It only took about six hours to do it. He came up with what he referred to as his Ten Commandments of being a con artist. I'm going to read them to you right here, okay? This is it. One, be a patient listener. It is this, not fast talking, that gets a con man his coups. Never look bored. Wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. Let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. Hint at talk of intimacy, but don't follow up on it unless the other person has strong interest. Never discuss illness unless some special concern is shown. Never pry into a person's personal circumstances. They will reveal that on their own. Never boast. Let your importance be quietly obvious. Never be untidy. Never be drunk. 
you may know some people that you're like, that's what they're doing. Uh, the Holtes and I were talking beforehand. It's like, this is a lot of politicians. And well, <laughs> please don't be funnier than the pastor. <laughs> Here's another one that I really liked. Uh, this is Soapy Smith. Now, the reason that his nickname is Soapy is because his big con was this. He would go into the, to these wild west towns and he would sell soap. Now, that was a needed thing, but he sold it at a really high price. Nobody was going to buy it at a really high price, except for his con was this. He would take a few bars of soap and he would wrap a $100 bill in the packaging in front of everybody. And then he would mix it all together. So he wasn't just selling soap. He was selling a lottery when you get down to it. The problem is, is he was a sleight of hand artist. And so he had a gang that would come with him and what would happen is he would sell soap to Adam, who wouldn't be one of his, uh, his um, gang members, and it would just be a regular bar of soap that you just paid five bucks for that was worth a dime. And then Jan would come up, and Jan would be a part of his gang, and he would sell her a bar of soap, and she would open it up and go, I found $100, which the gang kept. And the fact that she just found the $100 made everybody else. We all know... It's too good a deal. But he rigged it to where only the gang got the $100 bills and everybody else paid way too high a price for soap. This was such a good thing, he funded an entire organized crime network through this until he was eventually killed, who knew being a soap salesman was so dangerous. But what they did, all of these people, they found out what you wanted and then they just use that against you. Now, the story that I just read to you, God's not a con artist. But he knows us so well to know what it is we want. And every now and then in Scripture, you will see where it's used against us to get his point across. The passage I just read to you, there's a lot. It's not hellfire and brimstone, but it is a lot of judgment. Is this same type of situation where God is saying to the people exactly what they want to hear and he's using it against them to get them to hear his message. I'm going to pull up a map here. Would you pull up the map, please? This is a modern day map of the Middle East as we would know it. Why? Well, because there's very little difference other than a little bit of erosion between the physical map of the ancient Near East and this. This is modern-day Middle East. But if you're reading the Scripture, here's the references that are going on. And we're going to have a few sound effects with this that I'm going to turn down because I'm afraid it's going to uh, not just blare you out, but definitely blare out the people that are watching on video because they, they get a direct feed from the computer off this. So, Charlie, would you hit the, uh, the space bar once, please? So he first mentions Damascus. And the people of Israel would have hated Damascus. Damascus was the most powerful country uh, in the area. And he mentions all the evil they did. They probably would have been excited about that. And, and when we get this, we're reading the text. But in the ancient Near East, they wouldn't have been reading the text. What would have happened first was, Amos would have probably been preaching this in open air. And he probably would have been preaching it multiple times, going from city to city to city. 
He was not a politician, but I want you to think if you've ever heard a politician's what's called stump speech, it's the same speech that they present over and over and over, and they do slightly different things in it to make it seem like it's directly for that. So if they came to Stephen's point, they would be like, I just, I'm so fascinated by this trivia competition you have. And I just came back from Belts and got ice cream here. And, you know, uh, Polito's, I was told it started here. And then they would go into the speech and it would be the same basic speech. Amos was probably going from, from group of people to group of people to group of people doing the same sermon. And so think of the reaction that would happen in, in an open-air sermon when he names the most powerful nation around and he says, God's not going to let them off the hook. Would you hit the slide again, please, Charles? Let me turn it up. There we go. So this is Gaza. He mixes them next. Another enemy. Would you hit the slide next? This is Tyre. He mixes them again uh, next. If you think of the Philistines, the Philistines are Tyre. Okay? Hit it again, please. Edom. Okay? Things are beginning to get serious. I want you to think of how the crowd is probably responding at this time. God has just begun to say over and over again, those people you can't stand, I can't stand them either. Those people that, that beat you up and tear you down, I'm coming to get them. It's forming a loop here. Would you hit it again? Mentions Amnon or Ammon. Uh, would you hit it again? Goes after Moab. Can you imagine? By the way. This is a cheer that I once heard at a high school football game. It makes me laugh every time I, I hear it. Um, it is, you're ugly, you're ugly, U-G-L-I or L-Y. You ain't got no alibi. You're ugly, you're ugly. So, but here's why I want you to think of this. If you've ever been to a pep rally where they're talking about how bad the other team is and how they're really going to beat them down. That's probably the atmosphere that's happening here. Amos is talking, again, in an open-air situation, and he's naming all the people that Israel hate. And he's saying, God's not going to forgive them. For three sins, nay, for four, I will not relent. Over and over again. Would you hit it again? Then he says the biggie. Now, if you remember from when we first talked about this, Clancy's enjoying this part. Right? So it's meant to be. Because <laughs> I want you to get the, the idea of the excitement that probably would have been building here. Israel and Judah, they are brother and sister nations. They are the same people that have been separated. No, it has to continue. Guys, there we go. Nathan, Nathan's like in the back. Do you understand how the crowd would have been erupting at this point? Can you imagine? This would have been the sermon where everybody's like, yeah, you're so right. Judah thinks they're all that. Judah thinks they're the ones God loves, and he is going to get them. You see why I'm saying it's a con? Because he's building up their desire to celebrate someone else's downfall, and then he says, for three sins of Israel, nay, for four. Would you hit the next slide? And I only imagine there's nothing. 
God's used their very desire against them. Not to hurt them, but to point out their own sin. It's something he does. If you know the story of David and Nathan, Nathan the prophet comes before David because David has just stole. I'm sorry, Nathan, has just not only stolen another man's wife, quite possibly against her will. Okay, and I'm, I'm talking somewhat coded there. I think we know what that means. But quite possibly against her will. We have no way of knowing if she was a willing participant. And I would suggest there's no way she could be a willing participant because the king has just said, I want you. I don't know that she has a choice there at all. But that's me making some speculation there. What we know is this. He committed adultery. Instead of being the person of God, because God knows that we sin, that's not a shock to him. He loves people who repent freely. Instead of admitting his failure, he hides it by allowing someone else to be killed. He orchestrates a murder, so he has sinned again. And the only way God can get David's attention, who is typically, David is typically a really good repenter. He's described as a man after God's own heart. And so often we think that means, oh, he gets it right. But what he gets right is admitting his failures. And in order to get David's attention, God sends Nathan the prophet and Nathan tells a story that he knows will hit David's heart. He tells a story of of one man who just has one little sheep that he loves and treats like his own child. And another man who has a flock of hundreds. This rich man who has a flock of hundreds has some guests that come over and he wants to provide them with a feast, but he doesn't want to kill his own sheep. Instead, he takes the one man sheep. The sheep who had one, or the man who had one sheep. He takes that sheep and he feeds it to his friends. And David blows up. And then Nathan says, You were the man. You were the one who stole the sheep. For you stole Bathsheba. God uses Nathan's own selfish desire to bring back a message of conviction. That is what God is using Amos to do here. And when I picture the crowd's Uh, that Amos is speaking to, I picture people gleefully blowing up at all the mention of the nations around them and their failures. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's fun to point out other people's failures. It's not good. It's definitely not Christ-like. But there are times where we exult in others' failures. I think it's because of the fact that that so often we have this pride that just overwhelms us with this desire to, to make ourselves look good because we know how bad we really are. And if we can just make someone else look bad, then I'm not as bad as they are. I'm not as bad as they are at all. And so we celebrate other people's failures. I think that's what Israel was doing. I'm convinced that when you look at Scripture and you look at the tone of Scripture, righteousness 
is more about recognizing the sin that we have already and turning to God for forgiveness than it is about us doing the right thing all the time. I'm convinced that righteousness in Scripture is more about us recognizing the sin we already have and turning to God in repentance than it is about us doing the right thing over and over. Because I'm convinced that we can't do the right thing, that we are sinful, that we choose our own selfish ways again and again. We choose pride instead of humility. We choose selfishness instead of giving out. We choose the things that we know are destructive to ourselves and to others instead of choosing the way of God. And so righteousness becomes us turning to God and saying, I am a wicked man. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean ears, and I live among a people of unclean uh, clean, uh, ears, and I, I have seen the Lord. And we need to turn to Him. And when we turn to Him, He gives us righteousness rather than us earning it. But that's hard. Jesus talked about this tendency in Matthew 7. Would you hit the next slide? And what you're about to see, uh, there's, a, there's a website called the Brick Testament. This guy just does the stories of Scripture and Legos. It just makes me laugh every time I look at it. Um, it's fascinating. I mean, like lots of stories from Scripture, not just one or two, not like 20 or 30, but like hundreds of stories. And so he has this one. This is, I just thought I would use it. This is from Matthew 7, 3 through 5, which says the following. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in uh, your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me, next slide please, take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take, next slide, the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I don't believe there's another slide, is there, Charlie? Okay. Jesus is talking about this, this tendency we have to not see our own failures, but to see the small failures in others. And that's what Israel was doing, and God played against that to get them to think about their own sin. Now, The fun thing about this to me is God is saying he won't relent. But what we know of God's character is he does relent. Even in the book of Amos, what we're going to see is he is is tearing into his people. Okay, This is a brutal book. He tears into his people and he's, he's saying, you're doing that which I hate. But there's always this message of turn back to me and I'll forgive. It's his nature. His nature is to give grace to us, but what should happen is that grace should flow into us to the point that we want to share that grace with others, even when it's difficult. And that doesn't mean that God will not call out sin. He will. He does. Most of the people I know that are most miserable are the ones who cannot confront their own sin and they're trying so desperately to prove how righteous they are. No, I didn't lie. I said this instead when everybody knows what was happening. We have a God who gives us grace because there are planks in all of our eyes. So I mentioned that uh, I once tried to chase down a con man. I think Pam was with me at this point. 
I mean, we were dating at this point, obviously, but I think you were here. Uh, what happened was um, at our university, at the university center, there was an ATM there, which I have not been to an ATM in a long time now, but at one point in my life, you went to ATMs a lot. I actually ran out of gas once in front of the ATM, which I was getting money to put gas in my car and then ran out of gas at the ATM. That's a very awkward situation, just so you know. <laughs> but this young lady had been talking to somebody who basically pulled kind of the similar equivalent of, of uh, emails that you have gotten. Hey, I have $500 million. I need to get it to the U.S. If you'll help me with this, and uh, I'll give you like $5 million or so. And the equivalent here was this guy said, I have this cashier's check worth this much money. Um, I can't cash it anywhere uh, because the banks are all closed right now. It was on a Sunday. And uh, I just need 60 bucks. And I desperately need 60 bucks. So if you will give me the 60 bucks, I'll give you this cashier's check that's worth 150. And she was like, well, yes, I will. And then... um, she gave him the 60 bucks. He had to go to an ATM. It was more than that, actually, if I remember right. I'm just using 60 bucks here. And he gave her the uh, cashier's check and hopped in his car, and she flipped it over and realized this is a photocopy. And he was driving away at that point. And me and two other guys started trying to chase him across the university. Don't know if you know this or not. Uh, one, I'm not a very fast human. If you've ever seen me uh, on a road race, you know that. Uh, there are statements like, that's running, uh, and other things. Uh, but on top of that, I don't know many humans that are as fast as cars. All we really did was make him laugh. <laughs> he used, truthfully, he used her, her, I don't know that I necessarily want to say it's greed, but quite often that's what it is. Her thinking, I can get something for nothing out of this against her. I think God sometimes, he does that with his people. Because his biggest desire for us is to receive his grace. And then as being a people of memory, to give that grace out to others. So what planks are in your eyes? That, I mean, if you think about this story realistically, if you had planks in your eyes and I tried to remove a speck from Jan's eyes, I'm going to beat her to death with the planks that are in my eyes. Because every time I turn my head, but it up, but it up. She's going to be beat up with them. But we do it, or, or what? Thank you. Oh, poor Jan. <laughs> she is, I mean, she sat in the front today. So, <laughs> What planks are in your eyes? And it's easy for us to beat ourselves up and go, oh, I just, I'm such a hypocrite. But the reality is we need to know the planks so that we can allow God to remove them so that we can receive his grace. Because when we don't see him, we're not, I mean, we're receiving his grace in the sense of he's already forgiven us, but we're not receiving the benefits of that forgiveness. So does anybody have anything to add before I throw out how I believe we can use this this week? Okay. So last week I asked you to pray Throughout the, throughout the week, saying, Lord, how, how might I be missing the point? This week, I want to encourage you to do this. When you are tempted to celebrate somebody else's, yeah, Clark, when you are tempted to celebrate somebody else's downfall, when you get excited about 
somebody else messing up. Even just a brief moment, because most of you are much holier than I am and you probably don't suffer with the same stuff. Turn to God and ask him to show you what planks are in your eyes. And recognize again, that doesn't mean that God is not going to call out evil. He is. He calls out evil, uh, not just because he wants to defeat evil, but uh, but by calling it out, he wants to bring good to the people that he's calling it out in. God is a God who loves to save, to save us from our own sin, and to save others from their sin. That's why he condemns it, to save both the victim and the perpetrator. He's that good. The perpetrator needs to have their sin called out because it is harmful to them just as they have harmed another person. He's that good. So when you begin to celebrate somebody else's downfall, this week pray and ask him to tell you what planks are in your eyes. Would you join me in our closing prayer? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I hope you have a great week. I hope there are no planks in your eyes, though I'm fairly sure all of us have them. I hope this week you sense God showing those planks to you and you recognize it for what it is. It's an act of grace not condemnation. He's saying, I want to free you from this rather than saying, you're not good enough. He's already declared you to be lovely in his eyes. He wants us to be able to experience that by allowing him to remove those planks and those specks. Have a great week. Go with God. If you're on the video, go with God.